Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 273. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Welcome back to this week's episode. Hey, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to you. Such an exciting time of the year. I hope you're wrapping up 2019 strongly and ready to head into 2020 with a fresh, great new mindset. I'm excited for all that's in store for all of us here on the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Well, with that, this week's guest is Tamara Aragon. Tamara is an entrepreneur online marketer, real estate investor, author, trainer, coach, and so much more. I had a great time talking with Tamara on the podcast today. We talk about her journey, how she got started in the world of real estate investing, and how she went from flipping horses to flipping houses. Yes, it's a great conversation. We're going to learn about how she finds deals, how she finances deals, what she does with them, her investment philosophy, how she has bought and sold hundreds of homes and now is transitioning into apartment deals. So let's jump right into this week's episode. All right, today I welcome on the show, Miss Tamara Aragon. Tamara, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, hey, can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, your background and kind of, you know, your journey in real estate up to this point. It's a fun story. Okay, let's hear it. (laughs) So way back in the day, many, many years ago when they were doing wagon trains and stuff like that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, Way back in the day, you know, those stories where gurus talk about where their mother bride, their brother died, they lost their house to a fire, got in a wreck, had cancer. Something like that. that. Yeah. All that happened. Okay. No, I'm not even kidding. I mean, it was, it was rough. I had a business I started when I was 20 and I'm uh, in my fifties now. So, um, but my very first million, multi-million dollar business was started when I was 20 years old and I ran it for many years and had nothing to do with real estate. I always say I'm all, I was all that in a bag of chips. You know, I really just didn't think I needed anyone. I didn't come from a rich family. No one taught me how to do it, but I just had the willpower and the wherewithal to get out there and do it. So I was running a really successful business, bought a big ranch, had 17 Arabians, started instead of houses, I was flipping Arabians at 21 years old. For our um, audience members who might not understand what that is, that is a type a horse. of horse. <laughs> a horse. Yes. yes. Well, I loved horses. So I was excited to be able to follow my passion and actually make money at it. Okay. While I also ran another business that was the multi-million dollar business that I started right out of college. So I ran well for many, many years. And then something happened in the way that regulations went and I couldn't figure out how to get around it. Spent many years fumbling and and went under. Okay, so lost my business, 
this was during a time of another little recession. My husband at the time was a contractor. He went out of business, ended up doing foreclosure on my own home, ended up, my mom got cancer, then I got in a car accident. Yeah, seriously, look, got down to just about, you know, nothing, very sad. But on my way up, because, you know, you got to find your way up and out. On my way back up, I was standing in a sundry shop in an airport, and I found a book. I was just like, oh, and it just jumped off the shelf called One Minute Millionaire, written by Robert Allen and Mark Victor Hansen. And that book, no one ever taught me about multiple streams of income. Now it's really a common term, but at that time, it was 2003. And I really didn't know anything about nothing down or Robert Allen or real estate or stocks or multi, you know, anything. I sure. just knew I put all I could into my baby and it died. And yeah, but I figured out by reading that book why it brought me hope again because I figured out one of my big mistakes was to put it all in one basket. So I started trying to figure all that out, not having any mentors or anybody to show me. But lo and behold, Robert and Mark were going to be just a few hours up the road from me in California. And I felt that was a destiny. So I got in my car and drove to this little event they were having up there. And they do what all gurus do. Come free. Watch what we have. Free training. So I did that and I enjoyed the show. And at the end, they put out an offer for them to coach me. And of course, they already rocked my world by everything that I was this big epiphany that I experienced. And they offered something and I had to come up with $5,000 at the end of their offer. Well, I don't know why, but my hand raised because I didn't have $5,000. Yeah. But I raised my hand anyway. And then as I'm walking to the back table with no money on my credit card and definitely didn't have $5,000, I'm like, what am I going to do? I really want to work with these people. I really want to figure life out. So I called a friend and asked a lot of support, got me through a lot of this stuff. So one of my friends who knows I'm a woman of my word and had a lot of confidence in uh, my uh, rebuilding my life again, uh, gave me their credit card number to put that $5,000 on. So I was able to get into training and mentoring and coaching and learning really what it took to develop a, you know, multiple streams of income. And I had a real affinity with real estate. I've always been one to see the ugly and not really see it as ugly, see the greatness in it. And so flipping houses to me just came natural. I do it with people. I do it with horses. I did it with whatever. Just, you know, it's not that great now, but I'm going to make it good and make something better out of it and do something with it. So I went to work doing exactly what they told me to do with my inexpensive coaching. Believe me, they had the $100,000 program that day too. And the group coaching, <laughs> a little bit of sure. where they give you just enough to be dangerous because I still didn't know how to do contracts and, you know, stuff like that. Took me. And I like to say this because a lot of people think you just can get out there and you know you watch the flip this house shows and you know you can remodel a house in 24 hours. And <laughs> so I actually took me almost a year of diligently because computers weren't as popular back then. It took it was about a year of handwriting letters to people in foreclosures, knocking on doors, putting out bandit signs, trying to find a deal. I had a call one day at the end of 2003. And the call said, I had a lot of calls, but nothing came through. This guy says, I held your letter for the last three months and I'm ready to sell. The dream call came in. Right. So I did my little bit of research, tried to, I did, I'm good at assuming the sale. So I got my contract ready. I was just going to assume that when I went out there, he was going to be ready to go. And then I was scared to death, like anybody would be, uh, never having done a real estate contract by myself. 
And I knocked on the door of this house and the door creaked open. <laughs> and this guy answers the door and it's all dark in there. And I smell cat smell and graffiti's on the wall. Like, <laughs> oh boy, this is nice. But the guy really sincerely looks sad. So I came in the house with him and he actually, I'm not even, this is no joke. I am not making this stuff up. We sat on a box in the middle of this big dark house. And he told me that he held on to my letter for four months, tried to get out of foreclosure and kept it because I put a little cross on the bottom of the letter that says, I'm praying for you. So whenever you feel like it wasn't going to work out, he used that as his encouragement. He was in that dark of a place that just a letter from a person asking to make an offer in his, uh, in his house was a little bit of encouragement. So I asked the magic question. The magic question is, what do you want for your house? Okay. If anybody wants to know what a magic question is in negotiating with a seller is, what do you want? He said he wanted $20,000 over the mortgage that he owed. I asked him what he owed, even though I'd already confirmed it on the county records. He told me or estimated what I thought he would owe. We came to an agreement. So all I had to do was have him sign the paperwork and I was going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. So and how did he, that go? Uh, yeah, it went well, actually. This was my very first deal and it actually did go really well. I got lucky. Okay, I did everything wrong and I got lucky. So he hands me the keys to his house. Now I'm just telling you, I haven't closed on the house yet, right? Here's right. the keys. Here's the contract. Oh, and he digs in his pocket and said, here's the keys to the car in the driveway. It doesn't run, but I don't want that either. He literally walks out the door and walks down the street and leaves me with two keys and a contract. So wow. now I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what to do with it. So I did uh, take it to title, but with no money down the old Robert Allen. Well, well, you're supposed to put a dollar down on a contract. At least I put that contract in title with no money down. Then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? With this? Well, I have no money and I don't know how I'm going to get this done. So I called a bunch of family and friends and we fixed up the house together. I got my bunch of people just said, Hey, I need, I need to call out some favors here. I need the house painted. I need some flooring done. We need some lights, you know, let's clean this place up and put it on the market. And then at the same time I did something else wrong. I stuck a for sale by owner sign on the front lawn. Now, mind you, I don't own it. Okay, back in the day that no one taught me these strategies. I didn't even know what it was called, but that I was picturing myself selling the house and using the money from the sale to buy the house, which we now call a double closing. Right. So at the time, I didn't have that term. I just thought it was a good idea. So I made it up all myself. So I opened up and guess what? I sold that house and I did a double closing. And no joke, I actually have a picture of that check. Let me see it. I made $80,000 on my first deal doing all this crazy stuff that I probably shouldn't have done. So first of all, I'm not a good example of what to do with strategically, but I am an example of what to do mentally and to keep going and trying to figure it out because there were so many places I could have stopped in that yeah. Absolutely. Well, what I love about your story, first going back from flipping horses to now flipping houses, a fun journey there. But at one point you were at a really low place and you could have said, you know, hey, this is it. You know, this is my reality. This is my future and kind of gave up there. Right. But you chose to kind of create a better future for yourself. Go out, you know, pull some strings, pull some, you know, cats out of a bag, figure out how to get that training under your belt. And then you really were off to the races with this first deal. So many creative things you did with it. But what were some of those lessons learned that you took forward with you on that next deal and the next? And the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. OPM, other people's money. 
Yes. It really okay. has gotten me through this ride the entire time. Today, I have over 20 investors that work with me. Yeah, I have millions of my own, but I also have millions of others, uh, dollars that I do deals for. I, whether it's private money or friends money. And I know it's hard when someone's first getting started. Like I would have been really uncomfortable asking for, I would never on my first deal, but it had the nerve to feel confident in taking someone's money without a mentor. So uh, get a mentor, find it. You don't have to necessarily pay $5,000 for one, but find somebody that maybe is willing to share and to even, you know, pay them a little bit to like I have a person that paid me $500 a couple of times just to sit down and look at the deals they had going and help them work through them. So get a mentor, other people's money. Those are two really big things. And negotiating, working with people. Remember, these are people we're dealing with, people with losses, people in the title company, people you know that you're selling the house to and buying it from. People are what's important. And I couldn't have done anything I've done from beginning to end and to today without making uh, networking. I guess I'll call it networking. Yeah, sure. Real estate is a people business at the end of the day, right? From dealing with people like those sellers of these properties or dealing with people like your investors to dealing with people like your mentors, right? So, I mean, it's a relationship business across the board. Exactly. And since that first deal, I've done, um, you know, I've used different numbers. I've just kind of lost count. I said around 300 five years ago. So I figure I'm close to, I do about 60 deals a year, about five deals a month. So I'm probably closer to 500 at this point. So I've done a lot of deals. I do a lot of flipping. So So let's go back to that first deal and tell us how you've kind of progressed in your journey since then. So you do that very first deal. It goes well. You make your first $80,000 check, probably that light bulb in your head goes off, right? Like, okay, wow, this is proof of concept. All this training I learned up to this point really does work. So you went out and did this thing again and again, or tell us what was next for you. Several other, I just kept knocking on doors and started getting more letters. But then I thought this wholesale thing. So I thought, you know, I wonder how, I mean, people had mentioned the term wholesale to me. And so I got really familiar with that also that year. I just hadn't found any deals that I was going to wholesale. But I thought at that time, new builds were coming in. There was a lot of new contractors. This is where I got a bulk, a large number of things that came up. So I started going to the, where they were, and this happened again, whether it's going to work now or not, the new builds in my area are very minimal, but at the time there was a lot of new builds. So I went uh, to, into the new builders places and I said, well, what if I gave you a thousand dollars per contract and I was going to do my best to buy them, but what if you didn't mind if I actually, you know, sold the contract to somebody else? Would you mind? I mean, I was up front. I didn't go in and try to get into contract on 10 houses for a thousand dollars each and give them any kind of delusion that I was buying 10 houses. And they didn't mind that while the houses were being built. But as they were being built, the equity went up. So I got them at a price. And by the time they were built, so many months later, they got a lot of equity. So by the time I was selling the contract, I could sell the contract at a discount and still make a significant amount of money wholesaling contracts. Is that because it was in a highly appreciating market when you say there's a lot of equity yeah. It's not that a loan balance was being paid down on those, but you know, you no buy loan. a price A today and three, six months down the line, the property may be worth more than that. Right. So I went into a contract, let's say the house in January of 2000, we'll say 19, it is $100,000, but the market's appreciating. Like our market mm-hmm. here went up 10%. So maybe nine months later, it's worth 108000 so if I wholesaled it for a hundred, believe me, I was making more like twenty or thirty thousand, and I was buying three and five hundred thousand dollar home with very minimal earnest money 
to hold the contract. And they gave me a period of time to close on it. And if it didn't close, they were just going to put it on the market anyway. So it worked out for me. And then I started, and this is when people started asking me, how are you doing this? So then I started going online and uh, bringing the builders because I wasn't a realtor. I wasn't allowed to sell, but the builders would come on and sell. And then, so deals would be worked that way. And, you know, I just got, you know, that going. And then in the meantime, I was still doing good old fashioned flips and good old fashioned wholesales. And I just was really diligent in my marketing. Yeah, I always had three marketing methods going. Okay. Oh, and what were those? Uh, usually a direct mail, like I said, handwritten letters. I have a r- different one today if you want to talk about that. But at that time, it was always direct mail, bandit signs and knocking on doors. And now I have systems in place. I don't, obviously don't have time to knock on doors or need to, but I do have a lot of systems and people that I put to work. And those first deals were you, that you were doing, were those in-state which, where you were in California or were those out of state? All over at that okay. point. I started in my town, of course, but then I figured out, you know, I started going to other conferences. I think I ended up spending, I talk about spending 5000 by the way, that person that loaned me that money not only got her credit card interest paid, but I paid her a 10% interest on top of that. So she made money on my money as well <laughs> Yeah, because I insisted on it. But I ended up putting probably close to six figures into mentoring and training. So we would go all over the United States and meet a lot of really good investors. So networking with other investors was really good. They ended up being builders. They ended up being realtors. You know, that's how I started getting connected with people all over the United States in that. So. And is that what you're still doing to this day, Tamara? Kind of that same fix and flip models, doing some wholesaling and, is and that what you're buying hold. Okay. Yeah, I own 17 now. I don't own, own a ton. Okay. But I own 17 properties. And I had somebody ask me the other day, well, why don't you just buy something bigger and sit on it? And I said, well, if you can make on a $100,000 property $20,000 today, versus making $200 a month over five years, you know, which do you think makes more sense? I'm making pretty good money flipping. And a lot of it isn't, remember, I have investors. So a lot of it isn't even my money. Right. So it's like making 100% profit. (laughs) Right. So you've got these lead generation methods that you've got kind of built today over years and years of refinement. So when you go out and you find a new deal, how do you decide whether you're going to wholesale it, decide whether you're going to flip it, or decide whether you're going to keep it in your own portfolio? Are there certain qualitative or quantitative measures you're looking for in in those? Yeah. So I usually want to have a really nice cap rate on my rentals. So for I'll use a good example of a recent. You like to talk about recent projects. I just purchased a triplex for two hundred and sixty thousand dollars here in Stockton, California. Okay. And it needed a roof and they were pretty tore up on the inside. However, they had really long-term tenants and uh, and I and people like to talk, well, how'd you find that? Well, that was from a uh, direct mail and people that I had to meet with about five times before they decided they wanted the price I was willing to pay. And the reason they were selling it is those were family members in there and they didn't have the money to fix it up at all. And they didn't have the heart to raise the rent. So they knew they had to do something, but they felt stuck between a hard, you know, a rock and a hard place. So, yeah, right. So based on the work that needed to be done and the profit margin I need to have, I gave them the offer and they did. I, that's another thing. I never get emotionally attached to the property. I'm always emotionally attached to the human being in front of me and the, and the hardship, but I don't get emotionally attached to the property or the need to buy it. 
So I make an offer if it's not accepted, completely understood. In fact, encourage them if they really want to sell it, refer a realtor I know. I'm always about win-win. It's not going to make sense to them to accept my offer. It's okay. This case, they decided it was going to make sense to them. So I got a contract. So they were only paying $6.65 a month for three, about that, for each unit. It needed, the roof alone was about 20000 I mean, that roof was tore up. It was a really mess. So it was a big expense for the roof. And then I had budgeted thirty five to 40000 for rehab on all three units. But what I had to do, which was like, I just had to, I had to put that, I had to put the rents at market rate right away or it yeah. wasn't going to work. Even right. to resell it, nobody wants to buy a house when the rents are half as much as they should be. Right. Market rate was double that rate. And I say was because I only upped them to 1100 <laughs> But still to go from 650 to 1100 was a big bump. So I kind of, exp- I gave them 60, almost 90 days. And I talked to them and explained, look, there's costs. I just can't keep them at this really nice ethnic, just really nice families that live there. Anyway, they all ended up paying. So they've been paying now for three months, the new rent since then. And I waited to see if they were going to make that first month payment increase. Once they did, I went in and fixed the houses up. So now they got a new roof, they got new flooring, new paint, new appliances. They're happier where they're living and it's all working out. So now my initial plan was to flip that triplex. Right. Now that I'm collecting $3,300 a month on a property that's costed me and, I, and my rehab estimate was much higher than it was ended up being. It was less than 20 for the interior. So now I'm maybe in 295 and collecting $3,300 a month with very low output monthly for my expenses. Utilities are very low. And then I just have property taxes and insurance. So I'm at about an 8% cap rate. So I've got other investors in on this house and I'm either going to buy them out at 10% or keep it. That's just the property I need to keep. <laughs> That's yeah, around okay. the corner. <laughs> so that, I don't know how to, black and white, it's just got to make sense. So 8 to 10% cap rate or less, you know, is always great. But in this market of California, that's a good cap rate right now. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about some of your lead generation methods and processes that you've built over the years being an out-of-state investor in some cases, tell us you know, what you're looking for in a market and then how you're going out to that new market. Well, I, I have to tell you, my flips are not all, uh, mostly done here locally. Okay. Yeah, I have a uh, buy and hold in Oregon and I've had them in actually Oklahoma, ironically. All right. Uh, Georgia and South Carolina, but I'm not flipping outside of this area right now. But I do spend about $5,000 a month on direct mail. Uh, but if there's a twist to it. The twist is that I work with a system, like I do everything. In fact, I flipped three houses two years ago from Fiji. I mean, I've just got everything really on a system because I can still Important talk. to note, you were in Fiji or the houses were in Fiji? I was, <laughs> I was That's probably the best of the scenarios. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now I'm all about lifestyle freedom and being able to do what I want to do from wherever you want to do it. So yeah, absolutely. That, set my life up that way. But the direct mail actually kind of gets people to call a number and listen to a little recording because all I really want from them at that point is their phone number. And once they call me, then I could call them back. So normally people send out direct mail. They wait for that almighty call. They send us big, long letter. I want to buy your house, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, postcard letter. And then you hope that somebody's going to call and say like the first deal did, hey, come buy my house. At right. a it's all yours. It just wasn't happening for many years like that. Remember, it took me a year. It just took a while. So what I figured out is to send out direct mail to just get the phone to ring. 
because once you have their phone number, they, you know they had to have an interest or they wouldn't have called because the postcard just pretty much says, hey, there's something going on with your house, call this number and let's talk. It doesn't really give a lot of detail. So out of curiosity, people pick up the phone. And once they call, I've attached the phone number to the address and I just have a system that does that. So the system is important and I'm getting a lot of my leads right now from direct mail. One thing I like about that methodology is you're letting the seller self-qualify themselves by showing interest and calling you, right? You're not cold calling a bunch of people and getting a bunch of, you know, hang up or don't call me back kind of, you know, responses. So that's a really uh, beneficial thing. And, you know, looking at how to spread your time out and, you know, make it most efficient. Yeah. Well, and I get VAs to call back too. So I don't even have to make those initial calls. So I have VAs that call, then they run my comps and pull up tax records and pull packets together and set my appointments up. And then I kind of enjoy the art of the deal. So I enjoy, this is why I like it in my backyard, meaning I'm in Stockton, but there's Stanislaus, Sacramento and San Joaquin County that I deal with, which is Northern California. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I, and that part I enjoy doing. So what types of deals are you targeting in your lead generation strategies? Is it specifically single family homes, three bedroom, two bathrooms in your area? What kind of Quantitative oh, features are you yeah. looking? Yeah. So my philosophy is, if they're not motivated, they're probably not my person, right? They're mm-hmm. not somebody who's going to want to talk to me about buying their house. So motivation is most important. So I don't focus on the number of beds or baths, or I don't even care the condition. I'm the kind of gal by the ugliest, worst, horrible rehab that everybody else was like, "Heck no, I uh-huh. bring it on." Yeah. <laughs> So I actually focus on the motivation. So the motivation for me I'm looking for is why would they want to sell it? Well, right now people are thinking, oh, it's probably the peak of the market and it's going to go down. So I'm focusing a lot on landlords who might be thinking that, which they're feeling a little motivated right now about that. Of course, I focus on the typical foreclosures and behind on their taxes, bankruptcies, you know, the things where people are displaying some form of some financial difficulty where they may want to have some cash. So I also try to pay attention to if there's some equity in the, in the properties. So the way that the direct mail lists that you do right now, you can actually narrow down to the hope of some equity. You don't always know 100%, but... Sure. And explain why that equity piece is important. It's getting less important. I'm starting to focus a little bit on lease options. So I'm thinking I might walk out from that. Yesterday, I met with a lady whose husband passed. Oh, it's a terrible thing. She just bought a house in June. Her husband dies in July. She's oh, eight man. years old. Terrible, terrible thing. So sad. But she went and got, her husband was a veteran and they got a VA loan with no money down. So right. the amount that she owes is nearly a hundred percent of the value of the house. That's a house with no equity. Yes. So really the only thing I could do with her is offer a lease with option to purchase, which is how about if I was able to make your mortgage payment, then you can go take your less budget and go find another way to live. And I'll take care of the house and selling the house and figure it out in five years. So I just hold on to the house with a monthly payment. I mean, that would be my strategy with that. But generally you can't offer a lower price that you could profit from if there's no equity. Yeah, right. Okay. Makes sense. And so what other... But lease options is kind of a cool deal. So... Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and why you like those these days. Well, because there is those kinds of problems. But the thing is, is you want to be careful and get a lease option expert, not me, to have you... Like I was mentioning John to you. That's his deal. Maybe Mm -hmm. you should have him on the call someday. 
he actually has spent a lot of money on the right contracts because, you know, lenders are involved and you want to make sure that you manage the properties the way that they need to be managed. And actually they could be flipped and wholesaled as well. So. And real quickly, just kind of explain what that lease option is high level to the listeners who may have not heard of it. Okay. So I'll, I'll simplify it. It's renting a house from this lady, let's say, let's say I found out what her mortgage payment was. It's 2000 a month, barely like what she's making. So her mortgage payment is 2000 a month. So if I said, look, I'll take over your mortgage. I'll, it's basically a rent, right? But a mm-hmm. lease with option to purchase doesn't allow her to sell the house to anyone else but me. And we agree there's a time period I'm going to buy the house at a pre-agreed upon price at minimum. So we do a contract that says, look, today you owe 310 The house is worth 310 So what if I was to be able to say, if I'll pay your mortgage for the next five years, and then maybe in five years, I'll pay you 320 on top of paying your mortgage this entire time. Yeah, right. Something like that. I mean, and that's so a simplified version, but... Your strategy there would be to go out and then rent it, sub-rent it out to a tenant, right? And yeah. then in hopes that in five years... $2,400 a month. Right, right. <laughs> and then in five years down the line, you hope that the property is worth more than the $320,000. You've got it under contract to buy and you can either buy it below market value at that point possibly wholesale or do a bunch of unique things from there. Or I can walk away because it's an option to purchase. It's not a requirement. And the 2000 a month still got me 400 a month when I didn't put any money down. So 400 times 12 is 48. In five years, I will have made 5,000 times six. There was that 30, 25,000 doing very little. Yeah. So even if I had to walk away, I didn't lose money. Yeah, great. I like that. Well, Tamara, you've done, you know, you've lost track of how many deals you've done now. Let's call it 500 plus. You really have no idea. You know, you're out here, you've got really got some systems and strategies that are working for you. Is your plan to just kind of continue doing the same thing over and over and growing and scaling that way? Or, you know, what are your future plans? I want to get a couple more rentals this year. That's why that triplex, I would like to get a couple of apartment buildings in addition to my flips. So, yeah. I'd like to get some more or lease options. That's why I'm looking into that. I'm looking for some more passive monthly income. Mm-hmm. In and are you still focusing in your home market of California? Are you starting to venture out or what's that look like? Plenty here to do. I've been swamped with my business here. There's yeah. a lot of competition and a lot of investors saying they're not finding what they have. But, you know, I think, again, it comes down to I'm talking about the people business. I get texts and phone calls and emails of people bringing me phone call uh, properties on a pretty regular basis right now. And I can give you a tip to somebody just getting started. Okay, let's hear it. Secret tip. I have bought on the court steps right now. They're very, it's so competitive down there. The banks are coming in and just paying top dollar and overriding all of our bids. So it has been very difficult to purchase down there at the court steps. And don't recommend that for a newbie anyway. It's very scary. <laughs> very scary. A lot of things can go sideways down there. But what you do find is people like me walking around with a million dollars in their back pocket. And I mean that literally. It's a cashier's check for a million dollars in your back pocket. So you're looking at 10 or 20 or 15 investors down at the court steps with lots of money. And you know what they're there for? A house. So co- going down to the court steps with no intention to purchase. But an intention to meet people is highly recommended because if you can find, I always say it's not about the money, it's about finding the deal, right? So if you can just work and focus on finding a deal and then have these buyers like me, I'd love to know who you are. Bring me your deals. I want your deals. And so does everyone down there. So whether it's wholesale or selling, I don't care. 
as long as it's a real deal. Yeah. So I think it's a great networking opportunity down there that people, I mean, you don't want to just walk in and start charging after people. So you just sit back and you kind of watch who the real buyers are and learn and you see what they're paying. I mean, there's a lot to be learned down there watching what goes on. So at the court steps, even if you're not buying. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Like you say, just to reiterate, real estate is a people business. Seeing a professional like yourself, a veteran in the industry, you've really got that figured out and you've really honed your skills over the years. So really cool to see that. Well, Tamara, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round. We end with all of our guests. We like to just fire a bunch of questions at you. Are you up for it? Yep. All right, cool. So the first question in the lightning round is what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Contracts was my biggest hurdle. Knowing the steps, the logistics. And I got over it by hiring a mentor and a coach to walk me through those things so that I could close deals. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, Tamara, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Yeah. Reading. I'm an avid reader of positive words. There's a lot of garbage coming at us every day. And I try to offset all that garbage with positive words of wisdom. Great. Well, that'll lead into the fourth question, the lightning round. I'll skip to it real quick. But do you have a book you recommend to the listeners and why? You know what I'm going to recommend. So I'm just going to say One Minute Millionaire. It's an old classic, but it's a very good read. It's yeah. a, it's factual on one page. It's really good for us ADHDers. And I'm kidding. <laughs> Never been diagnosed, but it's, I'm <laughs> it's factual on one side and fiction on the other. And it's really an interesting way that the book was written. It's not an audible book. <laughs> that yeah. would really drive you it's a great read. Yeah, we'll link that book in the show notes. That's One Minute Millionaire. I forget the author, but we'll link it in the show notes. Mark Victor just... Hansen, he wrote all the chicken soup books and Robert Allen wrote Nothing Down. They did it together. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Tamara, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? The Bottom Line Deal Finder. And I happen to have created that. It took me a couple of years to do it, but it brings up the bottom line price that you should pay for a property. It's not that expensive. I think it's, I charge 97. It's not very expensive, but I swear today I use it. I have my VAs using it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way that they can actually logistically come up the price that really they should be paying for the property. That's an underwriting tool then or an analysis tool. It's an analysis tool, but it, beyond that, it, it just gives you the bottom line price. Like just to get the emotion out of it. This is what the price, this is what you should pay for the property. Don't pay for the price. Yeah, great. I think if the listeners don't have an analyzer tool out there, either you know, go out and buy one from someone like yourself, create one, but you have to have that tool to be able to analyze deals, right? So important in your business. Because I hear a lot of my newbie investors that I train and work with, you know, God, the neighborhood's so nice. And oh, it's got the cutest kitchen or <laughs> just look at the numbers. Yeah. Stay true to those and you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tamara, last question in the lightning round. I asked this to every one of our guests. It just happens to be relatively true for yourself. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell yourself? Now, I know you started that multi-million dollar business at age 20, but maybe what would you tell yourself about real estate specifically? Specifically to real estate or even my million dollar business, it's all the same. Get a mentor. I failed because I didn't have someone to hold my hand and really walk me through the process. I mean, and, and keep one. Even when you're successful, I have one today. I mean, it doesn't matter. You need a mentor and a coach. I just think it took me a lot of years to figure out that. Yeah, great. Yeah, get a mentor. I completely agree. Well, Tamara, you're a mentor to many people out there too. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing in that space. I actually have this event that I put on with a, it's called Seven Days to Freedom. 
And my core of my passion is passions to profits. I love helping people take what they love to do. And a lot of time it is real estate and help them make money with it. So get very good clarity on their vision and their plan for their life, first of all, and then monetize it. So that's what I do during that event. And then I run some masterminds online, uh, group coaching. The bot, uh, there's a product that I sell that is very inexpensive and it's a great way for a newbie investor to get started. It's called, and if anything, just go watch the video on there, locatorgold.com. And it's a FISBO finding. All my investors that I've connected with over the years are in there on this software that when somebody plugs in a name, address, and a reason why it's a deal, and then they go buy it, they just earn some instant cash without having to worry about getting into contract and all of that. So if you go watch Locator Gold video, you'll learn about that. And then I do have a free giveaway. Um, okay. It's a book, 27 Ways to Find Real Estate. And the uh, website where I put that together is it, I want you to join my posse, P-O-S-S-E. So it's R-E-I-P-O-S-S-E dot com. And if they sign up to join my posse, which really is not a big deal, it's just I'll send you a bunch of freebies and tools and ideas on how to be a real estate investor. They can get that. First one is the 27 ways to find real estate. I love it. That's 27 ways to find real estate. You can find that ebook at reiposse.com. We'll link that in the show notes. Tamara, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun hearing your journey. As we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Yeah. Of course, you know, I'm so wordy, you know, I just always have something to say, right? Well, okay, so he says a poem that I really like. Well, I kind of have it memorized. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to live day and night for it, to, oh, here it is, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it. If all that you dream and scheme is about it and life seems useless and worthless without it, if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it and lose all your terror of the opposition for it. If you simply go after that thing that you want with all of your capacity, strength and sagacity, faith, hope, and confidence and stern pertinacity, if neither cold, poverty, famine, nor gout, sickness, nor pain of body and brain can keep you away from that thing that you want, if dogged and grim, you beseech and beset it with the help of God, you will get it. So wow. I, love <laughs> I love that. I'll look that up and link that in the show notes as well. Really cool. I'm surprised you had that much of it memorized. Tamara, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Let's get you back on in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you, Tamara. Take care. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Tamara Aragon. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tamara. If you want to learn more about any of the resources we mentioned in that show, you can find those in the show notes. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobairs.com. Well, till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. 
The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.